Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today we have an amazing guest, as always, someone who has experienced hardship from an early age and who transformed that into a mission to help and serve others, providing, a, providing people in despair with a space and communication to feel safe. Oleg Lahid. Thank you. I love saying your name there. It's it's, <laughs> it's like I'm at a, a hockey game and I just got to like yell out your name there. That's that's so good. No, thank you. And, oh, you're welcome. Quite the introduction. Thank- I'm actually going to have to probably borrow a few of the phrases that you've used because that's a uh, You've explained it better than I could, and I'm the one that created it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on a fantastic mission here. And how did this all start? Like, I read through your profile mm-hmm. there, and it just blew me away, the the adversity that you were dealt with, once again, at a very early age and mm-hmm. and had to overcome. And it seemed to have built you into this this amazing, strong entrepreneur who's, who's on this mission to, to once again go out and help people that, that really are in a rough spot. Yeah. You know, I think for me, when I think about the origin story of how did it all start, A, obviously it was the upbringing that I was dealt. <laughs> and I make a joke to this point that, that it's not really a joke, but I think it's, if anything, mm-hmm. it's a universal truth. And that's we can't control the cards that we are dealt at the time of our birth. Right. And all of us are dealt a different hand. And I think what I've discovered over time is this opportunity to go back to this quote unquote unlimited deck and to reshuffle the cards and pick a new set through all the concepts that I'm sure you teach as well or that you share with a lot of your listeners. And that's reframing, changing your narrative, changing your story, changing your perspective. And that's ultimately what I started doing. And I think for me, when I think about this origin story and the adversity that I was dealt from a very young age, what interested me the most in the years that followed is not necessarily where I was, but where I could be. Right. And that essentially became a passion or an obsession or an addiction of mine to find a different way, to find a better way than the way that I was introduced to when I first came to life on this planet now and how how were you introduced to, into life when you first first were so, born like what were these cards you were dealt you know for me i was born as you were able to tell by the name i was born in russia and i lived in a town called chubarkul which is in the direction of kazakhstan for anyone that's going to be familiar with that part of geography okay. and i lived there for my first 12 years of my life And out of the 12 years, the first nine, I lived somewhat on my own. And what I mean by that was my mom was an alcoholic. So she was really in no position to be able to take care of me financially or in any other means. And my sister, who is 18 years older, was the one that actually ended up becoming my legal guardian for quite some time. Wow. So she, in a, sense, in a way, played the role of my mom, which I don't know if she wanted to or not, but she was kind of given no other option. It was either that or I sleep on the street or I go to an orphanage. And so we ended up living that life for about nine years. And when I was nine, 
I had somehow come across an opportunity of this concept of an orphanage. I don't know how I heard about it. I don't know who shared the story with me. But I realized that going to an orphanage and essentially relinquishing my parents' rights at that age was going to be a much better alternative than to staying in that particular household. Wow. And this is a decision you had to make at nine years old. Correct. This is the decision I made when I was a nine-year-old kid living in that town. And ultimately, I didn't know the decision that I was making nor the outcome of it which is probably true for anyone regardless of what age you are in, right? You kind of just make decisions based on the the best information available, and then you learn to live with the outcome. You learn to make sense, make meaning out of the outcomes. And that's exactly what I did as a nine-year-old kid. I had made a decision without ultimately understanding what would it look like for me to not live without my parents, what would it look like for me to live under one roof with a group of orphans who don't share the same story that I do? Some of the orphans at the time were brought into the orphanage from a very young age. So when you hear those stories of kids being dropped off at the footsteps, there were many kids like that. And so what I started to realize in that moment when I entered the orphanage was that A, because I had chosen to put myself in that set of circumstances, that it was only my responsibility to make the best out of the circumstances that I was in. And with that drive and persistence, what I ultimately ended up finding <clears throat> was an opportunity that changed my life for forever. And the first opportunity was I was introduced to the concept of folk singing. So I don't know if you're familiar with this concept or not, but essentially it's something where you learn different folk songs and you have the opportunity to perform and compete amongst other orphanages, other schools. Okay. And slowly I realized that I was in a way becoming the Justin Bieber of Russia. (laughs) So I was actually good at what I was doing and I enjoyed it. And so I started to tap into that more to really try and understand what is the full potential of what I'm engaging with. And in that moment of realization, I've also realized that the teacher who was accompanying me along the side also saw the potential and also wanted me to flourish beyond what she thought I could be. And so within that one year, what I noticed was the small classroom performances then changed into me performing and competing amongst other schools, other orphanages, winning prizes. At the time, I felt like I was winning a million bucks, but in reality, (laughs) all I was winning was a flip camera or a bicycle. But it it gave me enough juice. It gave me enough confidence to keep going, to keep pursuing this thing. And then a year later, I was introduced, or we were introduced as an orphanage, to an opportunity that shifted my life completely completely. And that's to be able to come to U.S. to perform in front of groups of parents who are looking to adopt kids from Russia. And then that's where the adoption process had started. So when I think about that origin story, that is the first 12 years in a nutshell that really helped prepare me for this next transition in my life. And that's to be able to come to U.S. to be immersed into a culture that I never even knew was possible 
to learn a new language, to learn the new skill set that's required to be able to adapt and adjust and ultimately this thrive. This is absolutely amazing. And uh, <laughs> like, like you talk about performing there and, yeah. and being able to get up on that stage and do something. And uh, yeah, the prizes aren't there. And uh, mm -hmm. I think the real prize and take home out of all of that was the development of yourself, that confidence and, yeah. and, uh, and being able to, to shine in something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think a lot of youth and kids right now, uh, don't have that opportunity or aren't taking that opportunity to be involved with something that gets them in front of people where they become once again, kind of this star or person of importance or this athlete or this musicianist or artist something mm -hmm. that sparks their creativity and, and things. And it sounds like you just flourished in that environment. And, and, uh, that early stage is probably what helps you out now as well. Um, am I correct on that? Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing that I'll mention is <clears throat> I think that one of the reasons why, in my opinion, people don't choose to either seize the opportunity at hand or have the confidence that's needed in order to be able to move to the next phase of their lives is because there is a lack of understanding or perspective when it comes to this whole concept of a stage and a performance right. to begin with. In my opinion, everything is a stage. Right now, the conversation that you and I are sharing, it's me standing or sitting on a stage and the same thing is happening on your end. This is a stage, this is a platform, this is a space where you get to express who you are and what you believe you know to this particular point. And I didn't understand this for the longest time. I thought right. that the only way to be on a stage was to be on a physical platform. And so therefore I waited to show up as my best self for those moments, only to realize later on that every opportunity you get to engage with another human being is a stage. So whether that's a grocery store, whether it's a Starbucks, whether it's a conversation like this, whether it's a physical stage, these are all platforms to showcase who you are. And from there, <clears throat> I think you give an opportunity to the other people or person to make a series of decisions to create other opportunities for you. Right. And that's what I started to realize. And I think my childhood in the way prepared me for a lot of these moments because it allowed me to understand that a I had to be on my best behavior regardless of where I was <clears throat> living at the orphanage I had no other option but to be my best self because you're constantly being put under the microscope whether it's right. how you perform in school whether it's how you perform on the daily chores how you respect the caregivers how you respect the other orphans you're constantly being under that lens. Therefore, you have very little room to make an error. And because of that, years forward, what I found myself doing is understanding that every single opportunity is a stage of its own. Now right. it becomes my responsibility to embrace that. I think that's beautifully said. And mm -hmm. yeah, my the hairs on my arms are standing up just hearing that. <laughs> But it's true, Amazing. you know, I, yeah, I think that I think that's the beauty is. of it is I think all of us have it. All of us have that thing that I think we're looking for.
that it factor. I mean, there's a reason why even the two of us are drastically different from one another. There is a reason why I haven't met a single other person in my life who does exactly the same things that I do. They do it in their own unique way. And that's the beauty of it all is because everyone can be their own unique version. Therefore, there really is no reason for me to say you're doing this wrong or I'm doing this right. We're all doing it according to how we understand it. Therefore, that's where I believe that everyone does have elements of that confidence. It might just be different. Your confidence might be different from mine, but it doesn't make mine any worse or any less than than yours. Right. Just operating from completely different perspectives. Once again, and you said so much in, in just that little clip and like, let's kind of dissect that a bit more. Like, what about you're constantly under this pressure to perform uh, from this early age? Uh, mm-hmm. You've you've got people constantly watching you, how you how you are doing everything. And did that turn into again, kind of more that that inner voice that is almost screaming at you not to mess up or, or to do anything. And then how did that shift into into this overall confidence that you have? I think the first thing that it did is it definitely elevated my awareness. I became much more aware, not only of myself, but also my surroundings, the people, and everything else that includes there. Within that, I've also realized that with elevated awareness, the level of precision increased. So how I was doing things, how I was showing up, what I was saying, what I was not saying. Because there's also... I'm sure we'll get into this in the later parts of this, but when I think about this concept of a story, I think of two things. A, the story that is being shared, and then B, there's also the story that is not being told. Right. And I believe all of us are doing it at every given moment. There are things that I choose to share with you and the rest of you listeners, and there are things that I choose to hold back for a variety of reasons. So I think for me, in having that elevated sense of awareness, I started to understand this concept of a narrative and a story. Now, I didn't understand it the same way that I understand it today, that you ultimately can live whatever the story that you create. But I did start to understand this concept that there is a narrative that's being formed in my head, and that narrative just happens to be playing out in front of my eyes So whatever it is that I'm thinking, whatever it is that I'm believing about myself and the external world is ultimately the world or the reality that I'm creating. Right. Years later, I think I was 23 or 24 years old, well after being adopted. Well, well, let's go back into that. Uh, Where's where's the narrative pick up after basically you came to the USA and and were adopted? And what were the challenges then? Because... I'm sure it wasn't just all all rainbows after you were adopted. No, that it, it, it's, there was a lot going on. <laughs> it certainly was not. And and the point that I was trying to briefly connect was that, you know, it wasn't until about 23 or 24 years old when I read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill that really allowed me to understand or reaffirm what I've been thinking for many years. And that's you truly can think and grow rich from your thoughts alone. But to backtrack to what you were saying earlier, and that's the other transition that I had had to make in my life, and that's to be adopted at the age of 12, to come from Russia to the United States, 
do not speak English, do not know anything about this part of the world besides a handful of words and the name Michael Jordan. True story. <laughs> In fact, the story there is I ended up choosing my middle name, Michael, okay. after him. Because that's the only name that I knew and the only name that I thought at the time would help me somehow immerse into the culture. So when I was adopted, you're right. It was not all sunshine. There were times where the roller coaster would go up and then it would drop down as far as possible. And a lot of it had to do with language barrier. Right. Because I didn't speak English well, I wasn't able to communicate my thoughts or emotions. And so the only way that I did that was through body language. The only way that I did that was through behavior, the things that I was doing. And it led me down a lot of paths <clears throat> where it led to a lot of miscommunication between myself, my parents, my friends, my neighbors, whoever else that was involved, because I simply couldn't express what I was feeling and what I was thinking internally. So you are right as far as that concept of adoption being viewed as another opportunity, a second chance towards a better life. But yet what I don't think is discussed enough is the process that one has to go through in order to create that better life. Yes, <clears throat> you might have the opportunity to be part of a quote-unquote perfect family, whatever that means, right? right? Every family has its struggles. Absolutely. But in this case, let's say you're given the opportunity, which I was, and that's to be able to be part of a family that does well, that has another child, so they have some experience in raising another kid, mm -hmm. another boy especially, and all of the things, all the ingredients are there in the way in order for me to succeed. But what's not the same is the fact that I'm coming from a different country. I'm not speaking their language. I have a well-developed understanding of what my world looked like prior. And now I'm trying to understand what is their role. And that's something that I wrestled with for quite some time. And that's... Yes, I was able to call my adoptive parents mom and dad from the get-go. But what I didn't understand was by me calling them mom and dad, what am I taking away from my birth mom and dad? What am I taking away from their title? What meaning am I transferring over into the new one? And that took me many years to understand, and I can't say that I fully understand it now. I think, if anything, I've just accepted it for what it was but when you think about those transitions, and as you mentioned earlier, when you think about this whole concept of, okay, he got adopted, his life got better, that ultimately wasn't the case. It took three to five years to learn English. Right. It took three to five years to make friends. The first time I made a friend, actually, I remember stepping onto the soccer field at a middle school that I was at, and I didn't know a word, and I somehow just started to scream, pass. And okay. I, I, I think I don't know where I got it from, but I would I would scream pass and I would point towards where I'm wanting the pass to go. Next thing I know is a soccer ball comes my way. I'm kicking it back. It comes back again. I'm kicking it back to someone else. And from that point on, somehow myself and all the other kids, we developed enough of a connection where we were able to relate to each other, even though we had no way of communicating with one another using English. Right. 
So that's where I think there is the beauty in being able to take some of those challenging times and circumstances and really make the most out of it. And that's where I think one of the other skills that I gained through this experience was born. And that's not necessarily looking for new resources, but more so asking myself the question of how can I become more resourceful with the resources at hand? Speaking about being resourceful, Mm -hmm. um, this is one thing I noticed too with with language gaps. Uh, So I had taught in uh, Japan for, for about a year and a half and then started dating a Japanese girl. And it was actually one of the better relationships I've ever had. Uh, with that language gap, because we started to cue in on all the other communication that we have as humans. Mm. And that observation skill to uh, get away from the words that are often just miscued, and often that people don't even speak what they're feeling, and being able to truly just observe and be present with the other person. I think... uh, actually was probably another uh, kind of silver lining in your journey that that gave you this amazing superpower where you're able to once again be able to go through the nonverbal communication with other humans as well to connect with them and then Mm -hmm. uh, just the power of doing tasks with other people uh, that that whole thing about sport and just pass and just just move and run uh, you think about it, humans are basically the only animals that have this, this great ability to communicate with words. Every other animal is communicating through actions and what they do. And mm-hmm. uh, during this, this, uh, this uh, journey that you've been on, I think that probably has, has honed in a lot of skills that, that maybe a lot of people don't, don't recognize or don't develop because of it. Um, are, do you have kind of feelings around that as well then? I do. And it's interesting that you bring that up because I've been trying to understand why my dad and I are able to connect so well in certain areas. And one of those areas are things that are task-oriented. Ah. <clears throat> things where we're able to do projects together, whether it's yard work or things around the house or whatever it might be. And I find that very interesting as far as what you just said, and that's maybe it's because of the fact that we're speaking more than one language at any given moment. Absolutely. So it's not only the spoken word, it's the body language. It's the things that are not being said as well as the things that are being said. All of those things matter. And depending on who you are as an individual, you might pick up on different things. For example, I'm in a position right now, and I wasn't always like this, where from time to time, I'm able to sense what the other person is not saying. Now, I'm probably assuming, and I'm probably not 100% correct, but I'm sure you can relate that there are certain situations where you could just gauge that, okay, because this is not said, then this is what is meant to be interpreted from X, Y, and Z circumstance. My dad and I were the same exact way, or still are to a degree the task-based approach to projects that we're able to do. Now, my mom and I were completely different when it comes to that. Her and I were very much verbal. So we can sit there and speak to each other for two to three to four hours and not blink an eye. And so it, it just says 
how different we are as individuals and how we're able to communicate. And I think if anything, what I've what it's also taught me is because I was introduced to these two different approaches, not to a fault of anyone, but it's just the way that all of us are mm -hmm. wired. It expanded my communication that much more. It gave me an opportunity to learn from the times where I'm just there raking leaves and yet I'm still somehow communicating with the person next to me, right? It gave me an opportunity to learn from my mom when her and I would speak for so many hours to each other. So I think all of those play all of those things played a role, which for me, and I don't know how it is for you, it makes it difficult to really understand what is that ultimate thing, right? What is that one thing that helps an individual get from point A to point B? I think if anything, what I've learned based on my own experience and my own journey is that, is that it's a combination of everything. Right. It's the times when I was in school as well as the times where I was out mm -hmm. of school. It's the times when I got in trouble with my parents and it's the times when I didn't <laughs> get in trouble with my parents. Right? It's all of those things somehow taught me different lessons whether it was in that time period or 10 years later, then I'm still learning. And that's what that's one of the beauties that I've discovered about my own life is once I got curious about life and the fact that everything could be a learning opportunity, my transition from where I was in Russia to where I am in US became easier. Okay. Because then I was no longer looking at these things as huge challenges to overcome and face, but rather challenges to engage with and to learn from. And that for me was just the most beautiful part of it all. Nice. And to be able to realize this, uh, basically at a, a very critical developmental time in, in, a in a boy's life, like you're, you're 12, yeah. you're in a new country and kind of most kids in that age are going through a whole lot of uh, maturation issues and self-discovery yeah. issues and yours was just compounded during this time as well uh what what mm -hmm. can you kind of say in in that regards to to the the added stress of being this teenager turning into into a man well you summarized it perfectly the added stress that's exactly what it was <laughs> <laughs> throughout the whole thing because it wasn't like I had the opportunity to stop everything else, put it on hold, and then work on things one by one. I had to work on everything simultaneously. Because when I first came here, I was put in the middle of sixth grade. So I had to learn what it's like to be in school. Mm -hmm. I had to learn what it's like to be in this school system, which is drastically different than the school system that I was brought up in. And I think the biggest difference that I've noticed between the two systems is that, in my opinion, when you are in the middle of 6th or 7th or 8th grade in U.S., you're not actually in those grades okay. because the conversation is already about high school. When you enter high school, the conversation becomes, where do you want to go to college, uh, even though you have four years to complete still? Yes. And when you go to college, the very first year, in fact, I think it's the very first week you are asked, what do you want to do for a living? Who do you want to become? How do you want to make a living in this right. lifetime? 
So it adds an additional level of pressure in figuring out that sense of purpose, figuring out that sense of meaning that I want to make out of my life and the circumstances to that point. So all of those things were compounded and all those things I had to process. And what made it difficult once again was, was the fact that I couldn't isolate each one of them. I couldn't put all those things into a bucket and say, okay, for year one, I'm only going to work on how to make friends at school. Year two, I'm going to work on how to develop family relationships. Year three, I'm going to start thinking about what I want my purpose or meaning to be in life. I couldn't do that. I had to throw all those three buckets into one and start figuring it out as along with a thousand other things. What I think helped me throughout that process as I think about it now is A, my drive and my persistence to figure out. I've genuinely believed ever since I think I was a little kid that there is always an answer to every problem. Right. Now, I don't know what that answer is. I don't know how it comes. I don't know when it's going to come. But I'm a genuine believer that there's always an answer. And with that knowing, I think I was able to move through enough circumstances that helped me understand that with enough time, I'm going to get through the other ones. I'm going to find ways to make friends. I'm going to find ways to build a stable household, build a family, build a stable relationship with my parents, with my brother and everyone else that was close to me. So I, I realized that quickly and I committed to it. Those are the two things that I could say as part of it. But the other things that you mentioned, I've also experienced just like any other boy at that right. time. I experienced the first time of not knowing what to say to a girl you like, <laughs> yes. right? That's a real problem at that age. What do you say? How do you do it? Where do you do it? When is the right time? When is not the right time? All of those things were also in my mind. I've experienced the times of what's going to happen if you don't make the soccer, soccer team? Is your, is your life going to end? So I experienced all of those high-pressure situations in addition to all these other ones, but I just genuinely continue to fall back on the thing that I believe to that point and that there's always an answer to every problem. That answer is going to come. Just give right. it time. Now, through all of this too, like uh, just just to give you some, some kind of history or background on myself was uh, – uh, before uh -huh. I went into the clinical side of things, um, I was actually a teacher and had taught in Australia, Japan, Canada. And in Canada, I was teaching uh, behavioral students. So I had a lot of foster mm -hmm. kids in, in my programs. I had uh, a lot of students that, that were struggling at horrible family situations as well. And pretty much every single one was coded for some sort of neurodevelopmental disorder as well, whether ADHD, mm. conduct disorder, uh, even schizophrenia in one case. Um, but you are relatively healthy. Um, but out of all of this, uh, do you feel like there is kind of through the stress and through the situations, mm -hmm. kind of parts of your brain that are maybe wound up too much or too little and then also... What can be done to, to help out other uh, 
other children coming up through these systems? That's a great question. And to be honest with you, part of my answer is I don't know. I don't know which parts are wired differently. I don't know which parts are overly stimulated or not. What I've learned and what I chose to believe, and the reason why I say chose is because it was a choice that I made four to five, maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's choosing to believe in the fact that, yes, I went through X, Y, and Z circumstances, but life could be right. different. I exposed myself to people like Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, a handful of others that helped me reaffirm the fact that by changing my thoughts, I could change the way that I'm seeing the things that I lived. And that book that I mentioned earlier, Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, is also a perfect example of that. It helped me understand that you can think and grow rich from your thoughts alone. And once I understood that, I then started to understand the fact that because I am, quote unquote, in control of my thoughts to a degree as far as how I'm processing them, not necessarily what I'm going to be thinking next, therefore I can write a story. I can write a different narrative around whatever the circumstances I went through. So when you think about and when you ask the the question of what concrete things can people do who have experienced similar things like that, A, understanding that a lot of it is based on a story. A lot of it is based on a story that you are telling yourself about what you've experienced that may or may not ultimately be true. And I think what I've started to realize as part of that is the only reason why it is true is because I'm making it true. I'm choosing that to be the truth. Absolutely. And once I shifted that narrative, once I shifted those thoughts, I realized that the truth could also evolve. That how I saw something as a nine-year-old kid doesn't have to be the same exact way that I see something as a 29-year-old adult. So that for me, when you think about this concept of freedom Mm – is the ultimate version of it, in my opinion. Having the freedom to choose my narrative, having the freedom to understand that there is a different choice that I could make. Now, I'm understanding also from the lens of, I'm sure there are people, in fact, I know personally of many people who have gone through much more challenging circumstances than I have. And I'm not here saying that what I've done is easy. I'm not here saying that what I've done happened overnight. This took me many years to get to. This took me the ability to be open enough to other people's perspectives to understand that life could be different. And one thing that many people have told me, a lot of the people that I worked with, something as a trait of mine is my ability to be coachable. Okay. I'm very open to other people's perspectives. Now, I may not agree with them, but I think that's the beauty of it all is the fact that I'm still willing to understand and I'm willing to ask questions. And as part of it, I get to formulate my own understanding of whatever it is that they're saying. So a long answer to your question is the fact that, in my opinion, it all boils down to a story. It all boils down to a narrative. Now, I'm not saying the things that I went through or the things that people have gone through are not true, 
all I'm just saying is that there can be a different perspective that's developed around those things. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the really amazing things about the brain and about memory is each time we focus on a memory is we're actually changing that memory in our brain. And you're yeah. doing it in such a positive way that you're changing that narrative into something that that serves you versus something where you kind of perseverate on it and it it starts to get yeah. more and more negative. Um, but each time we think about something, we're actually changing that memory because parts of that memory are going to become brighter and parts of it are going to become duller each time we do that. Yeah. And you're really out there coaching people who are struggling to, to be able to, to have that perspective and, and make that, that change to, into the wiring. And once again, that a way that makes them feel better. And, uh, I've just got to commend you on the work you're doing with that. And, uh, let's dive into that. Like you've got a nonprofit now and, uh, you're going around helping youth that are struggling. What are the things you're doing there? The nonprofit is called Overcoming Odds, and I appreciate you for even having a platform like this for different people to share their experiences. And that's exactly what we started to do, is that we created a space for other people to be themselves, to change their story, change their narrative, and to ultimately build a better life according to how it is that they're wanting to view it. So we have a podcast we have an opportunity for people to share their story. We host seminar-style events. We have one coming up in September. It's going to be a three-day experience in Austin, Texas called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. Okay. So it's all about helping people identify their fears to turn them into strengths or a better way to put it to help people understand how they can use their fears in order to help them and not hinder them. And that's what we started to do. So we bring in a variety of speakers, a variety of breakout sessions, because that's something that I felt that I was missing for me. I don't know how it was for you, David, but when I went to events before, I've always felt like I would hear a great presentation, but then I'm left a little bit short. Right. And that's I'm not able to ask the question. I'm not able to process the information that I just took in. And that's what I wanted to do different about this style is to have these presentations, have people like Les Brown and many others come in and speak, but then afterwards be able to have a table discussion with people who are sitting next to you and ask them, what did you hear? What did you learn? This is what I heard. Is that how you heard it? So that way you can expand people's perspectives even more. So that's what we started to do as part of it. And for anyone that's interested, that's through overcomingodds.today. That's the URL and the whole meaning behind that is that you could start your process of overcoming whatever the challenges you have today. You don't have to wait until tomorrow because nothing about tomorrow is guaranteed. All there is is now. Right. And that's what I firmly believe in. And speaking about today is all that we have so far. Um, you also have some ambition to, to expand this though, correct? So what are your plans for tomorrow then with this? For me, the plans for tomorrow is to continue spreading this message, continue developing a lot of the groups, online curriculum that we've built for people, and ultimately create a diverse platform of perspectives where people can find their own sense of purpose, find their own sense of meaning, overcome whatever the challenges that they have to 
navigate through life's transitions and changes. And that's what I wanted to do from the get-go. And that's what we're going to do for the upcoming days to upcoming months, to upcoming nice. years. Excellent. So once again, what was that URL and how can people become part of this? It is overcomingodds.today. And the best way is to either reach out to us through the website or by simply looking up Overcoming Odds on any of the social media platforms. Excellent. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor to, to be talking with you, Oleg. And uh, I wish you all the luck with this amazing cause. And uh, for everybody else tuning in, uh, stay, stay tuned for the next, next Hardy Brain episode where once again, we're taking athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transport, transforming them into ironclad brain performers. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great day.